0: Uh, good morrow, ladies and gents. Um, I'm Tamir, and I'm going to be giving my thoughts on, um, I believe, four different four different poems. Uh, well, one is an essay um, from Angela, from And Andrea Bear Nicholas, um, the Linguicide, the Killing of Languages. I will be also taking a look at Shirley Bear's. Freeport, Maine, and talking about the um, consumerism and patriarchal structures of that poem and give some examples of that. I will be also talking about the uh, Ba, I'm sorry if I butcher this, um, the Baqua Sun, Woolly Baqua Sun poetry, and I will finish off with Fragile Freedoms. So, to talk about Andrea Bear Nicholas's essay on linguicide the killing of languages um it was it was a very interesting albeit sad read of how in um children are treated in this country how they are forced to learn another language and like they have to, and they have to forget their primary language; otherwise, they wouldn't be able to succeed in this country. And it it's really unfortunate and just blatantly unfair that you know people of other cultures have to forget what they've grown up with, forget all of this in order to be successful in another country, you know, it's, it's just not, you know, it's just, just not okay, um, and, you know, this, this essay, this essay really holds a lot of water with what's going on today in our country, you know, because these problems that have been around since the fourteen hundreds to the to nineteen hundreds, this is still persisting in the late two thousands. You know, there are still there are still students, you know, in schools who come from different backgrounds and they can't, you know, express those backgrounds comfortably in a school environment and still be able to, you know, shine. Uh, like, you know, of course, it's not, it wasn't as, it, like, it wasn't as bad, you know, like, as um, Nicholas stated, um, how some students would, you know, get their tongues, or get their, like, tongue stabbed. I mean, I, like, i appreciate pretty sure that was just like a, imagery but I wouldn't be surprised if they actually did do that back then where if a student were to try to speak their native tongue they'd get a needle through the tongue which is you know really that's something I just uh, terrible to think about and and yeah so it's like it's not it wasn't it's not as bad but as she said you know, while, the you know, they did away sort of with the physical, with like, physical punishment, they still have the mental punishment, the the subtlety of it, you know, where they're subtly making these students forget their language and learn a new language, you know, and they found out, that, like, like, mental mental punishment is far worse than physical punishment. You know, like, physical punishment is still bad, of course, but mental, but physical punishment is something that can heal. You know, it's something that can heal. But mental punishment is something that will stay with you forever. So now they're subtly destroying their, these kids' primary languages, And just putting them in, just putting them in like a, like putting them in a corner. Like they can't, they can't get out of this corner until they abide by the rules. And if they don't abide by the rules, then, well, they can say goodbye to, they can say goodbye to everything that they've been working hard on. And it's it's again as I say, it's just blatantly unfair. You know, like this we should not be doing things like this. You know, we want like we should be more peaceful, more open to other languages, you know, it's not it's not hard to do it. You know, it's not hard to, you know, be friendly towards other, you know, countries. And even if these children start to learn the other languages, it gets shot down. Or it's pretty much like a, a, like, I want to say like a 5% chance that they're even going to be able to pass it. Because she states, she states this in, on page 140, um... Where she was talking about, uh, you know, how children when they learn another language, you know, it takes them a while. So I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read uh, this passage here, um, as explained by Dr. Jim Cubans of the Ontario Institute for the Study of Education. The problem for Indigenous children forced to learn most subjects in the medium of dominant language is that it generally takes about two years to become socially proficient in a second language, but five years to become proficient enough to function well academically in a second language. As a result, educators unaware of this disparity tend to label indigenous students early in their school schooling as learning disabled or worse. and. It is these students who eventually tend to be pushed out of school with only about 50% of indigenous children completing, North, completing school in North America. It is clear that the promise of equal access to education for these, student, for these children have not been fulfilled and that the chief but most addressable cause is the imposition of a dominant language as the medium instruction. So so what this means is though these these children who you know have their primary language they it takes them about 2 years to become even slightly proficient in that language but then it's going to take them another 5 years to actually pass the academic teachings and courses and when it comes to schools like that, five, that's a, that's what, seven years? That's a seven-year gap. That's like equivalent to being held back by like five grades, which is just, is you know, asinine to even think about. And if, you know, if this is what these children have to, you know, endure... Then, and then it makes it even worse when they finally become, they finally are starting to become more proficient in this language and then the teachers just deem them as unteachable and they get kicked out of school, making all of this pointless. It it made, it, it makes all of it pointless. And now these children who are getting pushed out of schools now they're living lives that the, let's be real here, the government wanted them to live of, you know, thief, of being thieves you know, committing crime just to be able to get by and then giving giving the government a reason to take them out which is the ultimate goal here is to take them out if they don't abide if they don't abide by the rules, and if they don't learn quickly, then they will get taken up. And this is what I believe she was trying, uh, Nicholas was trying to get across in this short essay. Um, you know, to brief the comment on what I think the definition of linguicide is, is as she said, it's the killing of a, a primary language. You know, it's say I were to say I know just say I know Japanese is my primary language and I come to America and now they're forcing me to um instead of you know working alongside with my language, you know, and you know trying to you know encouraging my primary language while also teaching me English, they are trying to make me completely forget my Japanese language to only know English and if I don't do it if I don't abide by that then I'm gone Um, so that's what I that's what I've made from this uh, essay Um, now to comment on Freeport, Maine and its consumerism and patriarchal structures I I thought that I, well first I really like this poem uh, because it does relate greatly to what's going on now in our country with uh, consumerism and a sense of like dependency Um, and I say that because of the second line where she says children leading mom and dad by the credit card it's like These, you know, these children rely, are more dependent on their parents, you know, giving them money and, you know, the children consuming that money, you know, and then just going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, And it's just, and it's kind of like how it's, it's kind of how it's going on now. Uh, There are a lot of children who are strictly dependent on their mom and dad you know depending on if you have both to give them money instead of actually trying to you know make a make a living for themselves make a make a career and being able to defend for themselves and this leads to a problem later down the road um not saying like you can't be not saying you can't rely on people you know like you can rely on your mom and dad to help you out but they won't always be there to help you out you know eventually you're going to be on your own and you need to be able to defend yourself and you know make a living for yourself and if you've just grown up you know under the credit card of your mom and dad what do you hope to what do you hope to do you know what do you hope to do when you grow up and I like her I like the the last stanza here where it says Freeport Maine blank faces, white races, blank checks. And it makes you makes you think like uh, if you have a white face, then you're gonna get blank checks. You're gonna get jobs, you're gonna be able to live a good life. However, the blank faces the blank faces are the faces that people don't wanna they don't want to see they don't want to recognize and like that falls to the indigenous people to any other races that are in freeport maine you know they're not really going to receive anything or any attention you know even if like another thing blank face can mean is like you know like a new a new start a new start and then to even go further in that blank face could also mean like Say you have a person of different color and with this new blank face they're going to they're gonna apply a white face. And because of that white face they applied they're going to get a blank check. Like an instant blank check. You know, that's pretty much what I've taken from that. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is the Bakwa Sun. Again I'm very sorry if I butcher this uh, title. But... I so what I so what I got from this poem is how like you know this character this, this narrator he or she is reliving the the past when the past was great you know like um uh, like the beginning part like I basked in the brilliant colors of the maples and left old memories where they live in 1965 winter spring in summer, basically saying she's he or she, but just for the sake of continuing, I'm just gonna say she, uh, she's experienced. These are her, these are her memories of when, you know, she had a great, like a great life. You know, she was one with nature. She got to be outside more. You know, she got to enjoy it. And then she meets, um, then she meets this person in moonlit and, sorry, and snowshoes and in cotton cloth and they're the man sorry man of the cloth which I believe I believe um, defines as like a, a priest or somebody who's somebody who works for a church and from there it just talks about she just talks about how um, you know, as this person you know came into her life, you know things it looked like it believe believed things started to go downward, uh, like they were still good, but then they started going downward, and then to continue uh then she you know finishes the poem by saying today october nineteen ninety five she's revisiting long a long forgotten long forgotten memories, and the leaves have fallen to the ground. Leaving only the protruding skeletal filigree after a warm spring and new summer growth, Um, which makes me believe like this, like that the fallen, the fallen leaves, um, are her way of saying how all of those memories that she's had are long forgotten and they just don't mean anything to her anymore as, you know, as it, though it should, it just doesn't, it doesn't mean anything, um, and to finish this, uh, long response, uh, then I want to talk about Fraggle, sorry, Fraggle, uh, Fragile Freedoms, and what I got, her tone from this poem, from this poem, I want to, or, I want to, yeah, I'll say it's a poem, uh, she just sounds done. Uh, it's like the best, like the best way I can, the best way I can put it is she sounds, she sounds very done when she was writing this poem. Um, you know, like she's just had enough with how the how her people have been, how her people have been treated, and she just, you know, she calls the, she calls the politicians an air pollution. Uh, you know, seeing them as a, seeing them as corruption and if people were to inhale their thoughts and ideas they'd just end up getting very sick you know, and it's just, you know it's it's, it's very, it's a very it's a very, uh, like it's a short but very descriptive kind of poem where it's like I can actively like imagine like polit- like these politicians who are you know, denying her and her people their freedom and putting them into this game, as she states, um, this game that's been around for since 1492 to 1992. You know, I could just imagine them like speaking and giving out this bile air, and we're just inhaling it and just getting sick from it. Um, you know, I find it, I find that, you know, very. Very true and very funny. Um, and I like her final, like the final sentence you know, uh, fragile freedoms is the delicate hope for the possibility of making this time forward as the beginning of healing. You know, it's still her way of saying, like, she may have sounded like her tone, she may have sounded pretty much done with this, uh, with this, the state of this country's in at during her time, but she still has hope. That there's going to be a time when everything has settled down, everything has changed, and she can finally start healing with her and her people. So, that is um, all I have to say. Um, Thank you for listening, and I look forward to your feedbacks.